Welcome to the Finding Refuge podcast. My name is Michelle Cassandra Johnson. I am an author, yoga teacher, healer, social worker, dismantling racism trainer, activist, and grief worker. This podcast emerged from work based in the exploration of collective grief and liberation. It exists to remind us about all the ways we can find refuge during unsettling and uncertain times, and to remind us about the resilience and joy that comes from allowing ourselves to find refuge. Before we dive into today's interview with Mickey Scott Bay Jones, I want to share information about an upcoming opportunity that may be of interest to you. I've teamed up with Stephanie Ghostin-Paul and Tristan Katz to bring you The Art of Skillful Facilitation, Presencing Race, Gender, and Collective Healing. This advanced facilitation training will take place from March 17th through the 21st. Here's a little bit more about the training. Throughout our time together, we will build culture, develop shared language, offer frameworks focused on race and gender identity, and explore social location and intersectionality. We'll emphasize a conversation about how we, as facilitators, can center race in our equity work, while also honoring the realities of gender diversity and how that might play out in these settings. This will be an opportunity to cultivate a community of practice. We'll focus on noticing harms that occurs in group spaces where people hold many different identities. We'll be meeting via Zoom and have two two-hour sessions each day. We are only accepting a small group of folks for this advanced facilitator training, and we'd love for you to apply. For more information, visit my website, michellecjohnson.com. Click on events and you will see the link to the Art of Skillful Facilitation application. We'll also include this link in the show notes. Now, on to the episode. As I mentioned, this episode is with Mickey Scott Bay Jones. Mickey uses she, her, and diva pronouns. Mickey is the justice doula and accompanies people as they birth more love, justice, and shalom into our world. As a womanist, contemplative activist, movement chaplain, certified Enneagram coach and trainer, and nonviolence practitioner, Mickey supports students, clergy, activists, and everyday leaders in a variety of roles, speaker, writer, facilitator, pilgrimage guide, consultant, and teacher. She is the Director of Resilience and Healing Initiatives with Faith Matters Network and the visionary leader of the Daring Compassion Movement Chaplaincy Project, focused on infusing movements for social change with accompaniment, care, healing, and resilience. Mickey was a core team member with the People's Supper, who gathered more than 10,000 people around tables after the 2016 U.S. election for bridging and healing conversations. Mickey is known worldwide for exploring peacemaking and justice movements in different contexts across continents, crafting experiences for brave space, transformation, and revolutionary love, compelling storytelling, engaging in authentic conversations, 
and most importantly, never passing up a dance floor. There will be more information about Mickey and how to connect with Mickey in the show notes. For now, enjoy listening to the episode. Hi, Mickey. Hey, good to be with you. It's good to be with you too. Thank you for saying yes to being here and making space for this. I really appreciate you and thank you. So the first time I met you was at the Citizen, it's not a retreat, Citizen Summit. I was like, what is the word (laughs) I'm looking for? The Citizen Summit about three years ago. I think it was three years ago. And we held space together along with Green and Carrie and was really beautiful and wonderful to meet you. But I'd heard of you prior to that, mainly because of Brave Space and the principle of Brave Space, but also the poem that you have written about Brave Space. And I just want you to know, which I'm sure we as facilitators use that Brave Space principle all of the time Mm -hmm. and read the poem and bring your name into the space. So thank you for creating that and offering that to us. So that's how we met. We've crossed paths here and there since that time. Yeah. And I'm so grateful that that's been useful to you. I'm not even sure that I've... I haven't said it very many places. I don't know that I've told you, but I'm working on a full-length book talking about how I conceptualize Brave Space and kind of building off of the poem. And I'm excited and very nervous to sit down and do that. But I know that it's time. So I have to thank you and others for the encouragement to do that and the acknowledgement that this kind of idea that is essentially forcing its way through me, it's not, I think it's something that we're collectively developing, how Adrienne will talk about emergent strategy and how she didn't, mm-hmm. she wasn't necessarily the originator of that whole idea, but that it has come forth through her and through her connection with other people. And I feel similarly about Brave Space. So thank you for being part of who has helped me and is continuing to help me birth it into the world. Cause I think that's what's happening. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. And I thought I knew you were writing a book. I think I've been telling people for two years that's happening because I thought that <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so I'm glad sure, that yeah. now people know I was <laughs> like, I thought that was happening. I hope I didn't disclose information that I wasn't supposed to, but no, really no. <laughs> looking forward to it yeah. being birthed and continuing to come forth and through you. That's funny. I would love for you to share some about who you are, what you do, whatever you want to share about who you are and your practice in the world. So my name is Mickey Scott Bay Jones, and I use she and diva pronouns. And I live in a really small Southern town. And I am a mama. And that for a long time, that was my main identity. But I also, in some ways, I dipped my toe into activism as a teenager, but really had no idea what I was doing. I was like in an earth club, but also was involved in like leadership development and and volunteer hours, did hundreds of volunteer hours a year as a teenager, and then got into the birth world. So I was a birth doula and childbirth educator and IBCLC lactation consultant and trained others in that field. And that's really where I started to learn about activism. And about holding space because I really started as a La Leche leader. So I started in rooms full of mothers and babies and toddlers. And when you can facilitate a meeting, 
where half the moms have a kid hanging off of one breast and chasing another kid and (laughs) stepping over toys and everything. You can facilitate anything. After over a decade of that work, I shifted into the worlds of theology and faith and justice work. And so now I call myself the justice doula. And I really envision myself helping people birth more love, justice, and shalom into the world. And I parked that work in my organizational home is Faith Matters Network, where I have an amazing crew of folks that I work with. And we're really about healing the healers. How do we support activists, organizers, clergy, community leaders as they support their communities? How do we help them build sustainable leadership? I do that in lots of different ways, but my kind of the project that is taking most of my time these days is the idea of movement chaplaincy. So every day looks different for me, even though it's in my house right now, but I love my work and I love what I do. And I love being a part of calling those who are engaged in change making to consider their own care and their care for each other as we are trying to, you know, change the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that focus on healing the healer and prioritizing movement builders care as we're doing the work. And I'm curious to know if there was anything that other than who you are, but any event, incident, anything that happened that made you really want to focus on healing the healer, or have you always been oriented in that way? I had a severe burnout when I was a mother baby professional. I was, to my knowledge, the first Black woman to start a standalone mother baby support center in the Nashville area. So that came with all of the pressures of running a business as a Black woman, of in a Southern city, and just business owning in general. And there were a lot of kind of home pressures. I was also the full-time caregiver for my children and in charge of their schooling and kind of all the household duties and had a somewhat traditional kind of relationship structure where there were particular expectations of me as a woman, that kind of double shift, you work, but then you also come home and you do a lot of work. Mm-hmm. And it got to the point where I couldn't do it anymore. My body couldn't do it anymore. And I had a pretty severe breakdown, essentially. That actually led to me writing my first book, which it was published by a very small academic publisher. And it was for mother baby professionals and about burnout. And I think that led me to understand that you just cannot work yourself to death thinking you're somehow going to create a life. You just can't. And I thought I could, that I could work really hard for a certain number of years. It was like, I really believed in the American dream of just work really hard and then you'll build something and then you're going to be able to just relax and enjoy it. And (laughs) that is a lie. It almost cost me my life, my children's lives. Like it was real bad. So I think that's what really saved me and changed my understanding of harmony. I don't like to talk about balance because we're not going to do everything equal and we shouldn't. I don't know that you should work as much as you play, but there has to be harmony in your life. And so that's when I started to really value that idea that I could have an ebb and a flow. I could have different things be more important at different times and that's okay. So then as I got into more of an activist-focused life and going back to more faith-rooted work, spiritual work, the temptation was there again to overwork. 
and to try and save the world all by myself. Especially for me during the time of Ferguson, it became just another cycle of just being up all the time, doing something all the time, being on social media all the time. It was not sustainable. And so I had to revisit what I knew to be true. I feel like in a lot of ways, I have to keep doing this stuff because it's what I'm most challenged by. And so I find myself again and again, reminding myself of my own value as a human being so that I can remind others of the same thing. Thank you for sharing that with me. I don't know if this is true for a lot of people, but I know a lot of people this is true for that we have to experience something like what you described of breakdown or the body shutting down or depression or anxiety in a way that we haven't experienced before. And often that leads folks to change. And as you noted, sometimes we need that lesson or have to have that experience more than one time to come back to what's true, just to speak about it in the way you did. You mentioned dreaming and harmony, and I have two questions. And one is, I'm really curious to know what you're visioning or dreaming about right now. Like what feels alive for you? What are you birthing? We were talking about brave space. And are there other things that feel really present and alive at this time? I felt like at the end of last year that I was finally beginning to dream again. And I don't say that in some kind of magical way, like 2020 is done, 2021 is going to be awesome. Because as we've seen in the first several weeks of 2021, it's not necessarily any different. But I think I went into 2020 with a lot of always vision and plan at the beginning of my years. I actually really love the beginning of the calendar year for that purpose. I love to organize and think through and make lists and plan. And so I'm usually pretty excited about that. But just really transparently, my mom got sick early on in the pandemic and passed away from COVID-19. And that changed everything. And I've had several other family members die from COVID-19 and other people that are close to me lose folks. And so this has been something that I've been living with that whole time. And just everything about my life has changed. I was easily on the road two to four times a month, which for me is part of my survival because I get to be in different places than the small town that I live in. In order to survive, I had to change a lot of things. I had to create margin. For me, travel in some ways creates quite a bit of margin for my life because there's just some padding there, right? Oh, I can't work now because I'm just checking into the hotel and I need to settle in and So I had to find a way being at home constantly to create margin, create some padding around my life, around the things that I do instead of just working all the time when I'm at home in front of a computer. So it got stripped down and there were a lot of emotional things I was dealing with, I think, in the last year. There was a lot of work that had to be done because my work in supporting activists and organizers sure doesn't stop when we have a year that's full of organizing around both racial justice and medical inequity and just the COVID crisis in itself. I actually launched several things in 2020 because they had to happen in relationship to the pandemic. And just that being able to dream up new things wasn't really a reality. And so there was something about that coming to a close and also just being at a different point in the life of our organization that has allowed me to dream again and be like, oh, okay, not everything has to be in reaction to something else. 
And I'm actually able to start to see where this little vision I've had for offering healing and support and care for the movement, for movements in general, like it can actually be born and we can actually turn into some really good things. It's just different now. Now I have some more space. I'm still grieving that I'm not saying the grief is over. I'm still learning what it looks like to grieve. I didn't know I would be grieving a parent who knew and grieving my life in the way it existed before. And so I almost in that way, and I think you could speak to this because you do so much work around grief. It's like the grief and just the heartache of this last year and what I'm still learning about that for me, for my children, because it's been hard on them too, in some ways is, I don't want to say creating that space to dream because that's not right, but like it's somehow impacting that ability or space to dream. I feel like you're going to catch what I'm trying to say. It makes sense to me. It reminds me of in 2017, when I lived in Portland, it was half of 2017. In the beginning of 2018, my grandmother passed away and then my father passed away. That's when I came out with Transverse, the deck that's about between their two transitions. And I was talking to a friend. I was like, it's odd. And skill and action came out. I was like, it's Mm. strange that I'm birthing these things in the world as I'm grieving so intensely. And she's birth comes from grief, like so Mm. many times. And so what you said, it resonated so deeply with me, what you just said. And I do think there's a link there and I don't understand. I'm curious about it. I don't understand everything about where this creative energy comes from when we're in the middle of despair. I've seen that in movements, right? Over and in people. So yeah, I hear you. I, hear you. I wonder if it's because in some ways it focuses our visions into what is really meaningful, like it distills down. Yeah. I don't feel as pressured to be pulled in lots of different directions. I don't know if I've said stay in my lane as much in any other year than I have in recent mm-hmm. times because mm-hmm. I just, I'm not going to do it. I'm just not going to run around and try and do all the things and be all the things because it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's part of it. It just allows you to refocus on what is truly important when you know that it could all be over Mm -hmm. in a moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's right. I appreciate you naming your grief and the loss of your mom and in this space. And obviously I remember when that was happening because I saw on Facebook, that's how I saw these updates and was just really heartbroken about it all. And I recently saw a video on social media from a friend who has COVID and she was like, COVID's real. I just want to tell people like, it's real. And for those of you who got it and got over it, I'm suffering and people are dying from it. You don't have to answer this, but I am curious to know if you have anything to say to the people who are like, this isn't real. I didn't yeah. expect to go rogue in this way, but I was. <laughs> it just struck me. I just saw this video, which is like, it's really happening. And I don't, people are in all sorts of yeah. denial, but I don't know if there's anything you want to say about COVID in general oh. so that we can better understand. Yeah. yeah. It's just shocking. Not shocking. It like, it's sad. I, I have to stop for a minute and get in touch with my feelings. Like it's still sad to me that people would even still need to make a video or a statement that it's real. And I think that the pandemic has just revealed yet again, the disparities all over the world, but particularly in the United States of America, the disparities around healthcare, 
and environmental justice and all kinds of things, because it's not just that Black people, Indigenous people, various people of color are impacted in different ways by medical care. That is true. But the impact is long before we get to the hospital. And so we're already at a deficit. And so that's why there are more of us that get sick and get sick really badly and die. And that it's not necessarily related to income. So just because you're more wealthy and Black doesn't mean you're going to live. And we see that with birth outcomes and we're seeing it here. And I think what then we see about the poverty of our friendships and relationship webs in the U.S. is that you can be an average white person in the U.S. and with all of this death, you still don't know anyone who's died. Mm -hmm. Because you actually don't know any people of color in any meaningful way. Yeah. That's or real. you don't know any poor people, or you don't know anyone who's disabled, or you don't, you know what I'm saying? So that's where the isolation into these very insular groups has impacted people being able to deal with the reality of a pandemic. And also being so isolated within the U.S. I spoke to a friend in South Africa yesterday who has, in the last two weeks, has lost 12 people, family and friends, to COVID-19. 12. Wow. But if you don't know anyone that lives anywhere else in the world, you don't know. And so you stay in your denial. I wish what this had revealed is that we really care for each other, that we can hunker down. Like we've been sold that in World War II, everyone gave up their whatever and they only ate their rations and Americans pulled together. Like we've been told these stories of Mm -hmm. the great American ability to pull together and work for something. And I even heard somebody say the only way we're going to pull together now is if there's some great threat to the U.S., be it a terrorist threat or a war start. I was like, what is COVID? <laughs> like, right. We right. haven't pulled together over that yet. You're still looking for something for America. And I don't even know what I would like say to people because I think it's just I don't know what to say to somebody who might not think it's real now. I think it's important for people who are involved in wellness stuff, involved in like spiritual stuff to know that's not going to save you. My mother prayed every single day of her life. One of my memories as a child is if I walked past her bedroom at eight, nine o'clock at night, she would be on her knees beside her bed reciting her prayers. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't because she didn't pray enough or believe right. enough. So that none of your daily yoga practice, your daily prayers, your incense, none of that will save you. If you do escape it, that's not what protected you. There are too many young, healthy people who have just dropped dead with this Mm -hmm. virus. If you're wealthy, that's pretty much the only thing that will save you. That's pretty much the only thing. It's difficult because it feels continual gaslighting Mm -hmm. from everyone. When it just feels like I live in a continual moment of gaslighting because people just don't take it seriously and don't act like it's real. And we're going to have to reckon with that when this is over. At some point, we are going to have to reckon with that feeling that so many of us that have stayed home, that have worn our masks, like, how do you recover from that kind of gaslighting from your fellow Americans? I don't know. We're in the reckoning and we'll have to reckon with that layer that you just named. And I just appreciate what you said, the truth you spoke around people talking about ways in which we've practiced collective care in the past, as a full culture. Communities have done that. 
especially marginalized communities, but we've done this before and that people are waiting for something else to happen for us to actually live into that practice. It's we're in the middle of it, people like (laughs) this virus, the earth, everything's screaming at us to be like, do y'all care? Do you actually want to survive? Are you in relationship with one another? I agree. I don't know what else people need to see or experience. It's confounding to me. I had another question about harmony and because you mentioned it, harmony in your life or finding that. And and I am curious about how you're doing that now with everything you named, with everything you experienced over the last year and even prior to that. But in this particular moment with all that spinning, how are you finding or creating harmony? Yeah, I told you before we started recording that I just got up from a nap. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, so I think it's something that I still struggle with. Even that, I had to have a little talk with myself about it being okay for me to take a nap. Mm -hmm. Even though literally this week in the Daring Compassion Movement Chaplaincy course that I teach, their exercise, their assignment was to have a period of rest Mm -hmm. and to journal and reflect about it, like to go take a nap. (laughs) And what does it mean to practice rest? And do you have anybody who you can talk to about needing to practice rest and that you are in community around that? I am sitting here telling them all these things they need to know and do. And then when it comes time for me to do it, I'm like, should I be working? And I need to do it. (laughs) Like (laughs) talking to myself about my to-do list, when what I needed because of where I am in my cycle and I'm a perimenopausal woman, we're in the middle of all sorts of bizarre things happening with our government. There's just a lot and it's go take a nap. It's not a big deal. For me, there's a lot of self-talk that comes in this whole building harmony into my life. Mm-hmm. I have to talk my way through, like I have a paper planner. I need to be able to write things down. For me, it's almost like I can feel my week if I can write it down. Yes. So I have to write down what I'm going to do. And I like to see how my days ebb and flow. Like I can start one day really early in the morning, but then the next one needs to start later so I can sleep in. Mm-hmm. I have to look at what the flow of my week is going to be, or even two weeks at a time sometimes. And in my planner, I have to have a month layout and I have to then have the weeks. I don't necessarily have to have it every day, but I do need to know what my what my weeks are going to look like hour to hour. And do I have spaces for all these different things? And I need to have some space in between meetings. Days when it's like back-to-back meetings, those are going to exhaust me. It's almost like a continual feedback loop, right? Like I can look at the week before and go, oof, was I exhausted? Okay. This week needs to look more like this constantly adjusting the times that are available on my calendar, making space to do things like cook, because then that's an activity that it's going to take me time to do. And then also, okay, what days am I going to eat out? So there's a lot of life planning that helps me build in the harmony, build in. I am such a doer. I have to build in, okay, Friday night's going to be movie night with the kids. Mm-hmm. There are people who don't have to do that because they're naturally inclined to let's have a hangout time, kiddos, or like they're all just going to end up piled on the couch in the evening. I'm never going to do that. Just never going to happen. I have to spend a lot of time doing that in a way to give me permission to do it. Another way that I trick myself is I actually write in my calendar when I'm going to eat dinner. I have to have very easy meals. So I do like order smoothies, like the, fro- the frozen mm-hmm. fruit is like in the cup. You dump it all in your blender and you dump in the milk. And then I have to do stuff like that in order to make sure I eat breakfast. 
every Sunday, I plan out the movement classes I'm going to do online. And I go ahead and I sign up for all of them. And I've already paid for the pass. And so if I sign up and I pay, I'm pretty much going to do it because Mm -hmm. it's already in there and I have to do it. And I don't go by anybody else's rules. Like people are like, get up at 5 a.m. Even Alice Walker, who I love, is I would get up at 5 a.m. and right before my daughter was awake. You know what, Alice? <laughs> and I've not said this to her. I've not said this to her face. I have met her, but I've not said this to her face. But I'm like, that's not going to work for me. I'm not a 5 a.m. right before the children are up. It's just not ever going to happen. Right. But I can try and schedule in the first two hours of my day before I take a meeting. Or if I don't, that's fine. I, for some reason, I have an eight o'clock meeting or a nine o'clock meeting. Then I'm going to like the first two hours after that first meeting, I'm mm-hmm. going to block off or whatever. You don't have to get up and work out at 5 a.m. Or you don't have to do every day of the 30 days with whatever yoga on YouTube. If you make it that once that week, fantastic. So I've had to learn to be gentle with myself. And the five or 10 minute yoga practice that somebody offers at the end of a day is just fine. If that's all I can manage to do the bed yoga, there are mm-hmm. bed yoga right? sessions on YouTube. Praise God. Do that. That is enough of moving your body. If that's all mm-hmm. you got in you today, if you just need to do the yoga nidra, like you just need to go to sleep, do it. Like mm-hmm. I have had to give myself that permission because I just don't. I won't do it. I'm going to be like, I have to do the most. Like, right. I'm going to relax the most. <laughs> you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. Stop it. I don't even know where my scale is in my house. I don't do any of that for weight loss. Mm-hmm. I know I've gained weight during COVID because I'm up a size. Okay. But I don't know what my weight is. Mm-hmm. And it was really hard the first week of January because I was seeing all the ads on yes. all the social media. And I was just mm-hmm. like, Oh, should I lose some weight? Like I can tell. And I was like, stop. It's marketing and it's working on you. It's just that like learning to take weekends. I used to really not have weekends. Mm -hmm. And now I'm like, sometimes I will be on the couch for most of Saturday. And that's fine. It is. And I usually will do a dance class. So I will sweat my brains out dancing for an hour. And then I'll lay on the couch the rest of the day. And I don't feel bad about it at all. You You don't need to. You're listening to what you need. You're like tuning in. Yeah. And that to me is the harmony. Because I'm not going to do that all day, every day. But a full day of laying on the couch also harmonizes with the two days I spent standing up and sitting down. Like I now have a standing desk. So I'm able to move around on that standing desk, Mm -hmm. which for me isn't even about losing weight or any and burning calories while you work. I've seen all these advertisements. I'm like, it's actually just helpful for my back and I get bored sitting all the time. And I was, I've been sitting on a couch for a year trying mm-hmm. to work and it's like, I will work my tail off a lot. Right. Yeah. But now I finally am okay with laying around. So if somebody else's harmony would be very different than mine. And that's okay. It mm-hmm. really is. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yes. It's different for everyone. And you were talking about the different things you do as far as your plan and schedule. And I'm similar in that way where I need to plan it out. And you're like, some people may not have to do this, write it down. They'll just naturally do it. And I think I just hear a lot of intentionality in it from you. 
Like you're actually prioritizing being like, okay, on Friday night, I'm going to do this. So I'm going to sign up for the movement classes on Sunday for the week. And I'm going to, I just think that's intention. It's not, maybe you have to do it that way for it to happen. And I think that's okay. That's what I'm saying. It's you're actually taking the time to think about how to harmonize, right? Mm -hmm. Your life and build that into your life, which I think that's powerful. Yeah. It's the only way that it's going to work for me. And I know it's not everybody. Everybody organizes their thoughts and their needs differently. And sometimes I'm more like my calendar is very filled out and it's very planned out. And sometimes it's not. But for those of us that really struggle with permission to rest or permission to just feed themselves, like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we have to just write it into our days. We have to remember how important those things are and not see it as extra, not see it as something to be earned. That's right. We just got to do our work around that. And we got to let people in our lives into that struggle and just stop tolerating capitalism as our blueprint for living. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like, yes. And talk about that in our groups, in our friend groups, in our families, mm-hmm. whatever those groups are that, or those people are, even if it's one person and checking in with them, or I have this one group of friends, my mama squad, we can just say anything to each other. It's like the longest running group, Facebook, you know, message thread ever. And that's how we <laughs> stay connected. <laughs> and we can really dump anything in there. And one of my friends the other day put in there. I hate everything. I hate everything and everyone except for you, you all. Like you are, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I love mm-hmm. y'all, but I'm, mm-hmm. I'm done with everything else. Mm-hmm. Everything's stupid and I hate it. And we were like, okay, that's okay. We love you too. And it makes sense that everything's stupid and you hate it. Right? Yes. And it we does. just were there for each other more. I think now we need spaces like that. One other person like that, several other people like that. Like we need to actually actively form those groups where we can just find some encouragement where we can seek it out. And that won't Mm -hmm. be a problem to actually Mm -hmm. seek out encouragement and love and Mm -hmm. a little bit of a hand up or hand squeeze virtually when we need it. Yeah. Yeah. Community where you can say anything and be your whole self, authentic self is invaluable. Like (laughs) that's what this is about. I feel like being alive is about finding that and then allowing yourself to be in that. That made me think of a question. I think I just have two more questions, but a question about your teachers mm-hmm. and your mentors. And I'm just curious to know if you want to name any of your teachers, if you want to call any of your mentors into the space, because I know you're a teacher and mentor to others. And I've heard little bits of your sharing about your teachers, but would love for you to share some here. Yeah, I have teachers in different realms because I come from so many different worlds. And I have been fortunate enough to have long-term and short-term mentors, some formal relationships and some not as formalized. Also people I call mental mentors that I haven't met and some which you know have passed on and I will never meet them in this realm and some who there's still a possibility out there. So I consider myself a womanist. So the tradition of Alice Walker, she was the first to coin that term. And then it's also become a theological term. And I have gotten to spend some time with Alice Walker. And those times have been incredible. 
And I don't know if they'll ever happen again, but I hope so. So she's a mentor, mostly in the form of her work. And even in those very small moments together, there has been some enough wisdom poured out in those dinners and those small times together that I feel like have changed the course of my life Mm -hmm. or even solidified the course of my life. She's very involved in meditation. And so I was actually able to participate in her leading a, a sit, which was just incredible. Our elders are complicated though, right? Even with Alice, there's been some things that she said recently in years that have hurt people. And as people age, there are lots of things that happen. And so I have very interesting relationships with elders that challenge me, that sometimes are painful, that also I think really strengthen my empathy and grace muscles. Because we don't really understand the depth of all the things that they've been through, especially Black elders who went through COINTELPRO in the 60s and 70s. We don't really understand the depth of all that that they're holding. People like Mama Ruby Sales. And then, you know, I was taught nonviolence by James Lawson, but that was a short-term mentorship. Like, I I don't have a rolling relationship with him, but he was a mentor to... One of my main mentors, Reverend Alexia, Reverend Doctor now, Alexia Sabatera. And she's known as Juanita Appleseed in that she has spread faith-rooted organizing throughout the country and the world and has deep roots in immigration organizing. She's really part of the sanctuary movement, the original sanctuary movement, and now and has taught me a lot about care and movements and about integrating your faith with movements. And So she continues to be a a mentor for me in a a formalized way, but also in a way that I know I can call her at any time for anything that I need. And then people like Jackie Lewis, who I consider my pastor and my friend and a mentor. But Jackie has taught me a lot about what it means to be a woman in leadership and to be a woman who is very femme, very feminine, wears red lipstick and high heels, and as a black woman has natural hair and a loud voice and laughs and cries and doesn't have to change herself in order to be in charge and in order to be loving to the people that she leads. And a lot of that is me observing her, is her believing in and setting up my opportunities for leadership. And that's a really special mentorship that isn't, we're going to have this mentorship session and we're going to that one is is definitely more organic and just it comes and goes when we both need it to or when I need it to. In this Enneagram spiritual world, I have my teacher, Deborah, Dr. Deborah Uten, who does a lot of the consciousness work. And I went through her Enneagram school. And so that's where I've learned a lot of that kind of Enneagram as a tool for reflection work. And... I'm probably forgetting some. Bell Hooks is one of those folks that I consider a, a mental mentor because I haven't had the opportunity to meet her yet. I hope that I get to. But her work has been extremely impactful, especially her book, Sisters of the Yam. That book 100% changed my life. And then really, I would say Rachel Elizabeth Harding and her work with her and her book with her mom, Rosemary Freeney Harding called Remnants. That is a sacred work. And for me, a lot of, I get a lot of teaching through books, but also there's been a lot of my teaching has also come through conversations with people 
through the people I've met through traveling. I spent a lot of time before the pandemic. I spent a lot of time in South Africa. And so the folks I've met in South Africa, but then also traveling to other places that I feel like there's so much exchange of wisdom because there are parallels and there are huge differences that our countries have gone through. Ireland and Israel, Palestine, spending time in some of those places along with South Africa and learning from folks younger than me, my age and older, who are also interested in kind of healing and spiritual teaching and making the world right and justice. So those folks that I meet as I travel, and I hope that the next year will bring more of that, that those people are my teachers, the people I meet in townships in South Africa, in all of the communities of people that I know there. And whenever I get to go anywhere and spend time with people who their lives are different than mine because we just live in a different part. The U.S. is like five different countries. Yeah. <laughs> so when I go different places to spend time with people, those are my teachers. And I can't wait to get back to that. And I'm so thankful for technology, as sick as I am of Zoom and of all the you know, ways that we stay in touch. I'm so thankful because I can start my day talking to someone in Bethlehem and end my day talking to somebody in South Africa. And they're my teachers, not because they're necessarily giving me a new theory to believe in or to understand, but it's through their love and compassion and through our exchange of friendship and care that they continually teach me about myself and about life and about ways that we can imagine a new world together. And for that, I'm, I'm deeply grateful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. You called in your teachers, many of them, and I know there are more, and just thinking about every time you go somewhere new, you're learning, right? There are teachers there. So thank you for calling them into this space. And I think my final question is just, are there things coming up that you want people to know about, or would you like people to connect with Faith Matters or other work you're doing? Yeah. Or Faith Matters Network. Yes. Yeah. That right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Briefly mentioned Daring Compassion Movement Chaplaincy Training. So we have two trainings that we will be launching in 2021. We are wrapping one up now. And we are the only place that offers a 12-week comprehensive movement chaplaincy training. And there's a ton of stuff on our website about movement chaplaincy, what it is, a lot of resources there. And we do our course through the School of Global Citizenry. And you can find out information through faithmattersnetwork.org or go to the School of Global Citizenry as well. And we have some scholarships. We have a half price rate for folks who are having um, Mm -hmm. financial issues or just need some assistance. And it's really great for anybody who's interested in providing care in our and an accompaniment, healing and resilience building in our movements for social change. You do not have to be clergy. This mm-hmm. is not quite CPE. So folks who are used to traditional chaplaincy, it's different than that. And so we have all kinds of people, people who are a spiritual person in their movement crew, people who are organizers who have some kind of spiritual jam, or they're always the person who people come to for care. There are clergy of all different religions. We have atheists, we have humanists, 
really truly for those who feel the pull, the call to being that spiritual, emotional, relational care person in their movement space. So that registration is open for the June course now. It'll be open Mm -hmm. soon for October, but you can even get on the list so that you can get information when those are going to open. And that's really like the main thing that I'm working on and that I love Mm -hmm. and I'm super excited about because I just really want, I want us to survive. And I don't like, I don't want us to die on the altar of justice. We don't need a bunch of martyred activists. We can actually create a more just world and live to see it. I actually believe we can live it doesn't have to kill us to get $15 an hour. It doesn't have to kill us to clean the water. Like we can do it and we can get there together if we take care of each other and ourselves while we do it. So I'm just obsessed with that. And I think movement chaplaincy and having people who are really dedicated to care in our movements can help us get there. That's what I want people to know and to think about and to join us if Movement Chaplaincy feels like it's right for you. Yes, we'll definitely link to the website and the show notes and that specific program. And I just love what you said. I was like, Mike, drop what you just said about not dying on the altar of justice. That was it. And I want to thank you for taking time today and talking with me and for who you are. Thank you for being and for everything you do and practice and bring into the world. So thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Finding Refuge. You can support Finding Refuge by sharing it with your friends, family members, and beloveds and rating it on iTunes. You can support my work by becoming a patron on Patreon. My name on Patreon is Skill in Action. Thank you so much and take care, friends.